Hello and welcome to our weekly NGFP Local Lunch podcast, where we provide you, our lovely listeners, with everything you need to know about Nottingham's local food heroes and how you can get more involved in our vibrant local food scene. Local Lunch is brought to you by me, Shona Monroe. And me, Penny Poiser. Of Nottingham Good Food Partnership, the go-to organisation for sustainable food in our fair city. It is indeed. So today is a big day. Oh, it is. Yep, for Nottingham Good Food Partnership, as it marks the launch of the Wellbeing Design Guide, which we've been co-authoring with our guest today. You'll hear more about our guest and the guide in just a minute. But first, lunch. Delicious. Today we'll be chatting over a butternut squash risotto topped with slow-cooked onions flavoured with lemon thyme and a bit of my hedgerow ketchup from foraging last year. Can't wait to do that again. Mm -hmm. And it's a cheap, tasty and filling meal and it's perfect for this rather blustery and rainy day. It is indeed. Delicious. So our guest this week is a true pioneer, an urban planning maverick. She is Dr Laura Alvarez who is Senior Principal Urban Design and Conservation Officer for Nottingham City Council. Now, Laura is the Eastman's convener for the Urban Design Group and was amongst the first recognised urban design practitioners in the UK. Laura has developed something called the Design Quality Framework for the City. This includes bringing together various partnerships to create the design guides and which in turn established changes to planning and engagement processes for the city. Now, how fabulous is that? She had an active role in launching and co-running the Urban Room, where she acts as lead curator. And that is just a tip of the iceberg. <laughs> She's also a published critic and contributor to national publications, TV and radio, and a fantastic artist. Indeed, all of these things. So welcome, Laura, Par- polymath. Yes. <laughs> Thank, you. <laughs> Thank you so much Thank for, you. for joining us today. Um, now, as we go on, our listeners are going to notice you're not from around here, as they say. Um, so can you tell us about your hometown of La Plata in Argentina and why it's been such a profound influence on your, on your work as an urban planner and an architect? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. I'm, oh. I'm loving here and the food is delicious. Excellent. <laughs> um, I was born in a small industrial city just outside La Plata. Now, La Plata is the capital of uh, Buenos Aires province. I completed my architecture and urban design courses in La Plata, and it's a city that was founded in 1882 on a very empty and flat and very fertile part of the Pampas. So the design of the city was inspired by two models, the garden city as we know it in Britain and the Indies laws. Now that's essentially the Spanish conqueror's design code for new cities in the new world. Really? Wow. It's fascinating. It's from 1666. So it's absolutely fascinating. Goodness me. Um, Very, very intelligent piece of of planning. Uh, I do recommend having a look at that. Um, and the combination of those two things is what makes La Plata unique, I suppose. It's, it's an example of city that was built around the, the need for people to be in direct contact with nature. Uh, for instance, you will find parks at five minutes walk from each home, which are large enough for the city's maximum capacity. All of these parks are interconnected by a grid of boulevards, all with different tree species according to the road hierarchy. So uh, diagonals will have blue flowers and you will see other avenues with aromatic trees or all different color flowers it's, it's gorgeous and the plan included a green belt around the city and further away from that a food belt 
goodness. Uh, it's so, so forward thinking. We, you know, we, we have this thing, urban agriculture, so new, but it's it's all there in the history, history of La Plata and of, and of course in yes. Nottingham. It was embedded in the way the city was planned. Each um, is, is very much a square grid, as you can imagine, a new town. And in the heart of each block, um, there is a protected zone so that you don't overbuild. So the heart of each one of those blocks has to remain green, very similar to the plan of Certa, actually earlier than that, so the, the Barcelona plan. But in La Plata, those hearts, uh, those green hearts are protected, so you never got built in there. That's incredible. And allowing, and, and, and all that way back, and it's so fascinating that um, Ebenezer Howard, of course, you know, the father of, mm-hmm. of City Gardens in the UK, was, was friends. Yes. With, with the guy who was the founder. Yes, he was friends with uh, the designer, uh, who was a, a French man that moved to Argentina to do this job, a, pl- a planner. He was actually an engineer, um, Benoit, Pedro Benoit. So um, he was, he had some correspondence with Vanessa um, Howard. And as you can notice, uh, La Plata was funded in 1882, which mm. precedes the publication of Garden Cities. Yes. Wow. Yeah. So he, he, he practiced it in Argentina and then Apparently. the book was published. Yes. I, I, and of course he would have been so influenced mm-hmm. by working with this guy. Wow. I, love, I love that internationalism, you know, sort of, it's so easy to get on a plane and travel. Just, just to have them to have met was, you know, probably a year or two years planning just to make yes. that happen. Yes, yeah. it took a long time. Yeah. But also it took good leadership because politicians at the time actually fostered this idea and that's quite important as well. Wow, okay. So Laura, you're a really important partner for NGFP. We've co-authored this wellbeing design guide which today is being launched. It's out there for everybody to look at. It's a groundbreaking planning guidance document that will embed nature, food growing and access to green space for communities to gather together. Now this is the first piece of planning guidance to be directed by the community and it will become another strand in the design quality framework which you created. Tell, tell us why, Laura, the, the design quality framework was necessary. Why, why did Nottingham need it? Um, well, in fairness to my director, Paul Seton, who came up with the idea of having a comprehensive framework, and to my colleagues who very much supported the idea of having design quality standards for the city, um, the concept was shared by all. It was collective thinking. Now I'm, I'm leading the project. But it all started with an audit that we did. We audited everything that was built in the city from 2013 to 2018. And we looked not only at at the buildings themselves, but we also looked at the planning process and how many planning iterations were necessary from, from the stage of submission to get to a good design. So, of course, this is very time consuming for officers who are already stretched and overworked. So we looked at the um, the outcomes of this audit and it was very clear then that we needed a design of um, a, a set of design standards to put across what the bare minimum is for Nottingham, what is acceptable for the city mm-hmm. and I suppose the design criteria in the guides responds to this need and it gives upfront information to designers and developers but it also informs communities um, as to what Nottingham's aspirations are. Mm. Because I think you know th- that's a really good point because when you live in a city and you're seeing 
huge amounts of developments going on. You'll see, you know, maybe a, a board that goes up. It's there for months, months. There's lots of construction work, but we don't actually really understand until that building is functioning what it's there for. Yeah. So it feels like it's kind of being done to us yeah. as citizens. We're not and co-creating it. No, yeah. no, no, it really changes, doesn't Which it? Which kind of leads us to the question, you know, if we talk about the wellbeing design guide, why is that so radical? Um, what's radical about the wellbeing design guide is that it was completely um, created, invented, as, as we say, consulted and written by community group, mm-hmm. you guys. Mm-hmm. And we're so, so thankful for all your hard work to get this design up um, up online and ready. And I suppose that that comes to show that um, grassroots type of planning is possible mm-hmm. if you enable it to happen. And we work so well together and I think the guide is going to r- truly change what we build and make it much better. Well, it's hope so. And, and also it's going to be a dynamic document isn't it it's not just a case of there you are there it sits for the next 25 years it's as as and in response to the 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 climate crisis we can no longer afford to be inflexible can we we've got to really try and keep a step ahead all the time of what we predict is going on but of course there's going to be is there going to be resistance to this because it's a very conservative with a small c industry construction and planning and design, do you think it's going to really rattle cages? Well, any change is always um, causing some sort of disruption in the mm. field because, um, of course, developers and investors like certainty. Yes. Yeah. And when you change things, then that brings an element of uncertainty. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it would be more onerous to build this way. It's just a different way of thinking, yeah. uh, which we desperately need. We have a carbon uh, action plan mm-hmm. to become carbon neutral by 2028. And as you say, we really need planning, the planning system to become flexible and be able to, to absorb every bit of new evidence and every bit of new tools that we can come up with to deliver that. So the design quality framework is, is flexible for that reason and mm-hmm. very much responds to the carbon neutral action plan. Yeah. yeah. So we'll have to be used to it. Well, I mean, not, Nottingham sort of uh, rarely out of the, the headline news mm-hmm. at the moment, you know, with the carbon neutral plan, but things like, you know, the Wi-Fi charging taxis, and um, I was I was chatting to someone, in, in fact, quite randomly after after we did the co-place training that we'll talk about in just a minute. And um, this this guy was from uh, Bermuda. Yeah. He was a student. He'd he'd finished his studying and he stayed in Nottingham. And I said, it's a bit different to where you've come from originally. The weather's not so good. He was <laughs> in a very big coat. So, but why do you stay here? And he said, because the people are great. He said that he said people are really friendly. Um, there's a real sense of community here. He said, yes, you know, we hear about trouble, but I never see it. And he, you know, he's a mixed race guy. Um, and I think there's this, there's this sense, particularly in Nottingham, of a, like a real, we can all do this together thing. You know, it's, uh, it, it, it's very, very exciting. Yeah, people are eager to connect, aren't they? Yeah. I think what Wellbeing Design Guide will do is fuel that happening. Yeah. It enables people to connect in, in communities mm. by looking at putting nature first, by creating opportunities for people to do things together, to share food together, yeah. to grow food together, to you know sit on the bench and look at you know, a tree that they might have planted. So it really, it, it will address 
the the desperate need for you know creating solutions for for this growing issue of social isolation, which yeah. costs the country masses of money, billions, yeah, billions a year. Was it twenty three billion yeah, a year? Twenty three billion. Yeah. So nothing. I mean, it's a city that has a huge capacity in terms of um, knowledge. Um, community groups and voluntary action and we, we really need to bring all of that together Yes, to make the most of what we have. Now I know that the design quality framework itself is, is already making enormous waves across the country. You've, you've had huge amounts of interest and I think you're talking at you know loads and loads of different conferences. Do you think the the wellbeing design guide will will also be influential in other cities and to, to local government maybe? It already is. Oh my god. <laughs> it's only been out for a few days and uh, we have other cities already contacting us, looking at to adopt some, some of the ideas that Nottingham is implementing. Um, and yes, there's already quite a lot of interest, particularly because we have been working together with uh, central government in, because this, this project is funded by the Ministry of Housing, Communities and Local Government. And so we worked with them collaboratively in bringing up the national design guide. So we sat at a round table with other authorities. And so I suppose the, the design quality framework is already becoming a tool for local government. Um, and there are other cities already looking at so very that's, much. that's amazing. Wow, that's brilliant. Um, and of course, the government has brought out the the new national planning framework, isn't it? And I think when I when I looked at that, I was quite surprised to see that on their sort of designs that would enable you to imagine how these sort of this new green approach might work. And there's things like rainwater harvesting there, sort of you know natural water treatment, lots more green spaces, green roofs, community spaces, food grain spaces. And I, and I feel sort of quite surprised that it that it was so radical, really. Mm. It's quite a surprising thing. But is Nottingham ahead of the <coughs> curve on that? Well, we're trying to. We're trying yeah. our best. We are the city with, uh, I suppose, the biggest ambition of becoming carbon neutral. Mm. So we really have to be a step yeah. ahead of the game if we want to make that happen. I don't think we have a choice anymore. No. We have got to look for alternatives. And we we have got so much development going on in the city haven't we sort of two billion pounds worth and I, and I know from you know our community perspective and lots of other people who, who are interested in in food growing locally were very concerned you know prior to the to the guide that we were going to lose all of the green space because the city centre is is not green we've got a beautiful necklace of you know grain spaces and parks enormous parks like Wilton Park over 500 acres and yet in the centre, for me, it, it feels quite devoid of that relationship to nature. So, I mean, you know, hopefully, you know, the guide will make sure that we, you know, we're not going to have these kind of grey deserts where it's just pounding the streets. I mean, yes. what, what do you think about that? Well, I suppose the guide almost is a reminder that is constantly there for everybody, from, from officers, designers, communities as well, yeah. to look at how we can stop missing opportunities to That's bring the, the thing, city. So, you know, you look at the guide and you go, have I, have I actually thought enough about this mm. to make it work to its best capacity? And you're right, we have so much development, we really cannot afford to get it wrong. No. It has got to be the right type of development. And once it's built, it's built for a long time. Yeah, isn't it? and if people are going to live there and enjoy and love living there, it's best that these things are taken on board and put in place, surely. It, takes it benefits more, everyone. Yeah, it's more. it takes more than a a building doesn't it to 
to have a good quality of life, which is so much from came out from, you know, just to give our, our listeners a little bit of background on on how the wellbeing design guide came to be, really. We, we sort of uh, sort of set up the first urban greening conference last year and a whole load of people came together, of course, at the Urban Room, yeah. which is such a fantastic space for, you know, communities and all sorts of people to come together and talk and exchange ideas. And there was so much information that came out of that. But the, the big call to action, I'm sure sure you guys remember this, is people said, we're fed up with just words. We, we want to see change. We want to see this happening. And that yeah. was such a call. And then through conversations with you, Laura, the, oh, let's, let's do a much bigger questionnaire. Let's yeah. find out what people think want. about this. Yeah. And over 300 surveys later and about 500 people totally engaged, we, we sort of and really analyse what it was that the people were saying. It was really clear, it was about we need access to nature, we want spaces where we can grow food together or in our own spaces, but we want space where we can come together and eat and play and relax. And that was that was this really strong message, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we asked people what well-being meant to them. Yeah. You know, what, what is well-being? And that, and that guide captures that information yeah. so it's been a, a democratic process yes which leads us to a question here actually you know the well-being design guide as we said is really important to us and you've also put into place alongside the other design guides the community engagement guide which is a forerunner to what will shortly be becoming from national government can you tell our listeners a bit about that please <clears throat> the community engagement guide looks at um, how we could change the ways in which we engage the broader city when develop before development happens. So this is from the very first point of contact with the designer. So how can people be more involved in, in how the city is going to grow? And I suppose we're used to a type of consultation where when there is already a design proposal and we have an opportunity to comment on it. What the community engagement does is turns that upside down and it thinks, well, actually, wouldn't it be better to learn from the community and what they know about place even before we put the design together and to have more of a dialogue and an opportunity to influence design in a positive way to make the most of it. So it is quite radical and I suppose it changes the processes in which we work in the planning system and we will have to learn before we can fully implement mm. everything in the community engagement guide. But it's a step in the right direction, I think. Mm. And, and is that... Is that going to be reflecting what comes out from from central government? Is this, you know, a local thing, or, or is that something central government are planning to do? A central government are already looking at the, they're doing all the research, and we're working again closely with them in similar way as we did with National Design Guide. And they are thinking about the idea that a community engagement guide is necessary at a national level. Um, we need to listen to people. Yes. Yes, absolutely, and the, and the, you know, like you were saying, with, um, you know, when a when a, a design is presented for you to comment on it, and then it goes out to public consultation, they really, it sometimes feel that they just want the answers back, that they they want the questions answered to. It's 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 very much a fait accompli, but to to have. You know that really radical change where it becomes a dynamic process, where it is properly designing 
Well, that place, and as you were saying, Laura, you know, the people who live locally are the experts. Yeah. And it's down to those tiny things. So if you've got this sort of space, whether it's, you know, derelict or whatever it is, people will observe what's going on. They might walk their dog in certain ways. They might know that there's certain nesting of species. Exactly. There's so, so many... Local intel. Yeah, so much... Or they'll say, well, you don't want to build those houses there because it already floods and it'll be a right problem down there, so you need to sort that bit out. And it is that kind of intelligence that a developer, when they come in and just look at that land, they want to clear it flat, that's going to change, isn't it? Because if there's natural capital there, that will that needs to be taken into account. I suppose there is a, naturally some sort of um, fear amongst developers or investors in what that might mean, that mm. communities um, can have an input on design. But it's, as you say, it is the small things. It, it won't necessarily mean that it will change uh, the way in which a development might, might become unfeasible to develop, but it is the small detail that makes people's lives better. Yeah. And most of the time, that detail doesn't co- cost any extra money. Mm. It's just a matter of thinking, thinking ahead before everything's done. And the, the industry's got to do something about it because you know, sort of in, in, in the last two or three weeks, there's the stories coming out how woefully inadequate, you know, the mass housing that's going up where there is zero place for people to be together. The quality of the housing is atrocious. It feels like we've gone back 20 years or 30 years because the quality is just absolutely awful so we, we we've got to have that change haven't we we've, you know people need to come together and speak and unfortunately current housing is just not meeting that and we we, we touched on um co-place we've just sort of thrown that out there and, and earlier this week um me and shona along with a with a room of planners um saw your presentation along with uh, Michelle on the co-place training course and it was absolutely fascinating. Can you tell us about the course and why it's necessary that professionals learn about this future of co-place learning and what does what does co-place actually mean? Right, um, so co-place is actually a community program to learn an action in the city environment. And those two words are actually quite important. It's about learning, but it's also about actioning. Mm. What can we do together? How can we work better together? So the program um, operates at the Urban Room in 38 Carrington Street. And it's essentially a set of workshops, which is delivered by community organizers in partnership with Nottingham City Council. And at the workshop, designers, developers, planners, community members will come together and try to learn from each other to gain essential skills as well, um, communication skills and how to put plans forward and how to bring them into action, um, all with a view to develop tools that will enable everybody to work better together from early stages in the design process and to inform the planning system. And, and Michelle was saying, lovely Michelle, who you and I worked with yeah, years ago, yeah. dec- in decent decades ago, <laughs> she was saying that... Um, that she's worked with people as young as 10, I think 10 to 14 year olds, who who were actually then able to deliver this training and things like conflict resolution, clear communication. I mean, for a 10 year old, active listening, what an amazing, I don't want to say gift, but it is kind of a gift. For young people it's to be given those tools, yeah. I mean, these are these are amazing lifelong schools. I would love to see that in every school. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. 
It's brilliant. It's fantastic. So, I mean, NGFP's vision for Nottingham is for the built environment to be immersed in an edible urban landscape. So what, what's your vision? What's your, how do you want yeah, right. Nottingham to look in, I don't know, five, ten years? La Plata? Right. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be nice. <laughs> Nottingham, it's its own place and yeah. it has to develop its own way. I think... Um, what I value about Nottingham as, as the, that student that you came across is its people. Mm, yeah. And I think that Nottingham will be even better than it is now if people have the opportunity to flourish yeah. and, and be truly themselves and bring everything that they can to support the city. So I'm hoping that Nottingham will evolve that way and the placemaking and the planning system will be a lot more collaborative and uh, people will have their say um, and in terms of the infrastructure, well, we have a lot of crises. We have loneliness, we have child obesity, mental health crises. Mm -hmm. And I think there is a great opportunity for new development to address some of those um, and, and to, to meet some of the social targets as well through place making. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's amazingly dynamic. It's very exciting. We can't quite believe that it's happened you know, it's been a year, but it's absolutely flown by. Now, um, Laurel, I mean, there's there's so much going on. Would you come back in, uh, you know, in a few weeks and give us another update? Of course, because we would like to talk to you about um, the Carla training program. But yeah. I think that's going to be yes. another session. That's a, that's a whole episode on its own. Yes. It really is. So thank you so much, Laura. Thank you very much for having me. I hope you've enjoyed it. Absolutely. <laughs> So next week, our format changes slightly when we'll be recording the podcast at Louisa's Vegan Chocolates in Slenton Market. Louisa is a gold medal chocolatier. We'll be seeing how they make their bean-to-bar chocolate. I think she's one of only 15 across the UK yes, making bean-to-bar chocolate. And hearing about her personal relationships with her suppliers, who are female farmers in Colombia, I believe. Yes, absolutely. And I think there's there's been this big collaboration with Louisa and the Future Food Beacon at yeah. Nottingham University. Of course, we've had the lovely David Salt on the other week. So it'll be really, really fascinating to hear about how the chocolate we all love and enjoy, A, can be vegan, yeah. but about the people who are growing it. And it's quite a story, isn't it, yeah. about what happens in Colombia. So tune in to next week uh, to our podcast trailer, which will be going out Wednesday. And of course, we will be releasing the podcast in itself live at 1.30pm next Friday. As usual, simply search for NGFP Local Lunch on your browser and we will pop up. You can find us on Spotify and all over the place. So have a great week and we'll see you next time. See you then. Bye. Bye.